Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. My co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this on Monday, October 28th, 2019, and Aaron, I'm kind of shocked that we're still talking about this Martin Scorsese thing. Who is? We is? This is still bubbling up around the internet, even today, and... Just the folks who've been chiming in, like Francis Ford Coppola, who in the Hill House, the Godfather saga, mm -hmm. is constantly plays. But yeah, he chimed in on October 19th where, you know, he said the movies that, that Marvel Studios churned out were despicable. And it's just sort of like, do you understand this is Disney who, who hired you when nobody else would do, to direct Captain EO? Well, it's kind of like a wine connoisseur, right? And then all of a mm -hmm. sudden, Welch's comes out with a wine, and you're like, that's garbage. Welch's isn't in the wine business, they're in the grape juice business. It's similar, but it's different. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, when you are so lauded as a, a Artur that mm -hmm. you get all the the kudos in the world. And of course he's going to have an opinion and that's what it is. Everybody's mm. got an opinion. Either you like it or you don't. Mm. And it's like, okay, fine. If he doesn't, I can totally see why he doesn't get it, you know, but, or, or not, I don't want to say get it, but I can see why he's not on board with it. Just a day or so after this broke, Peter Ramsey, the, the co-director of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse tweeted out that Coppola had caught a screening of uh, Sony pictures animation into the Spider-Verse. And, you know, he said that Francis was very complimentary when he came to that Marvel movie and really appreciated its interventions and animated performances. So when it comes to Marvel, it's not so cut and dried. And I think that's the thing, that people seem to be wanting to be, you know, take a black and white position here. And I think, as you just said, it really is a, a lot more nuanced than that. Maybe he only saw Dark Phoenix as his viewing oh, material or, well. you know, like he didn't get the right the right movies out of the bunch. Maybe he just went mm -hmm. with a bad crowd. Who knows? But um, yeah, it's it's his opinion, and and he makes you know a different style of movie. So no, 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 you no, know why no why doubt. be surprised that you know he doesn't particularly care for it. I, although I would kind of like to see mm -hmm. someone invite him into the superhero genre and say, okay, mm -hmm. what can you do with it? And just let him have carte blanche. He doesn't have to make Spider-Man in the red, blue tights. And it, it could be a crime drama like The Godfather or whatever. I don't care. Just you take the certain basic elements. But don't you think that the superhero is... It goes all the way back to like Greek mythology. The superhero genre predates a lot of other storytelling like the crime drama. So I don't see how you can really knock it because it comes Thor straight up myth. He's a God for, to mm -hmm. some people like for real, he used to be a God to some people in a faraway land. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's all entertainment. Who cares? It's fun. <laughs> for me, it's been interesting to see who's stepped into the conversation. James Gunn, he said, Many of our grandfathers thought gangster movies were all the same, often calling them despicable. Some of our great-grandfathers thought the same of westerns and believed that the films of John Ford, Sam Peckinpah, and Sergio Leone were exactly all the same. I remember a great-uncle to whom I was raving about Star Wars. He responded by saying, I saw that when it was called 2001, and boy, was it boring. Superheroes 
are simply today's gangsters, cowboys, outer space adventurers. Some superhero films are awful. Some are beautiful, just like westerns and gangster movies. And before that, just movies. Not everyone will be able to appreciate them, even some geniuses. And that's okay. I can't help but notice the use of grandfather, great-grandfather, and great-uncle, which is James's less than subtle way of pointing out that Martin Scorsese is 77, mm-hmm. and Francis Ford Coppola is, is 80. Right. He could have just tweeted out, get off my lawn, and left it at that, right? Much well, shorter he could and more to, more to the point that he was trying to make. I remember when Francis Ford Coppola was the young Turk. I remember people saying the exact thing thing about Martin Scorsese. And so there's there's a part of me here that is kind of bothered by the very thing you're saying, that, you know, hey, kid, get off my lawn. Bob Iger, who was at a, a Wall Street tech event last week, was surprisingly short and to the point about this. It's like, look, Scorsese and Coppola can bitch about movies if they want. It's certainly the right. But I reserve the word uh, despicable for someone who's completed mass murderer. So the Marvel movies are despicable. It's just sort of like, that's not really the vocabulary we should be learning here. Francis is just signed with the Creative Arts Agency. And the reason he did that is he has a film that he's been trying to get made for 30 years called Megalopolis, which is about this architect. There's a disaster happens in a major city in the United States. And this architect steps in and, you know, he's going to take advantage of this situation and create a a truly modern city, you know, where you have a city rise up from the ashes. And uh, Aaron, this is a hugely expensive movie to make. And supposedly one of the reasons that Francis signed with uh, CAA is that he's tentatively got Jude Law on board to star in this Mm -hmm. movie. It's very expensive, so you've got to get lots of financial partners on board, and you've got to find a place to distribute this. And right now, the biggest studio in the business, thanks to the Fox merger, is Disney. And he's effectively bitten the hand that could possibly have fed him. So it's not a situation now where Francis can take Megalopolis to Disney or Fox. So he's got to get distribution somewhere else. Scorsese, about a week to 10 days, started softening his own language. He started sort of walking back uh, what he said about uh, Marvel movies not being cinema. He actually supposedly said Avengers Endgame was an event and that his concern about movies like Endgame is that we're losing screens to these massive theme park movies, which are their own art form. So if a family wants to go to a theme park movie, that's a good thing. But but don't crowd out Greta Gerwig or, or don't crowd out Paul Thomas Anderson or Noah Baumberg in terms of, of the screens that are available for filmmakers like that at your local theater. And I honestly get that, but supposedly why Scorsese began walking this back, and it was supposedly because the folks at Netflix reached out to him and said, Martin, do you understand who subscribes to Netflix? You know, the the 20 and 30-year-olds who actually go to the Marvel movies? And, you know, you're telling them that they don't have any taste if they go to the, the, the Marvel movies? You know, we kind of want them to go to The Irishman when it begins its theatrical release on November 1st and likewise download it when it starts being available to, you know, our subscription or subscribers on November 27th and... 
I made that very argument uh, a couple of episodes ago about the mm-hmm. popularity of the juggernaut of Disney with all of its different mm-hmm. behemoth brands crowd the mm-hmm. box office. And they, mm-hmm. box office, usually don't theaters have to sign a deal like, yes, we'll indeed run it for a month or six weeks or whatever. So it's kind of locked into a place there, isn't it, for a while? I remember when the, this first began happening, when you saw the the mega cinemas being built, the, the, the multiplexes that would have the, the thousand seat house in the building that would also have the 500 seat theater and mm-hmm. 250. You know, and the idea was that you could extend a movie's run, just keep a movie at your theater for 10 or 12 weeks just by moving it from the big house to the medium house to the smaller house. And then back in the old days, it was the first week, I want to say, that the studio got 80 to 90% of your ticket sales. Mm-hmm. But each week it went down. So if you managed to hang on to a movie for 10 or 12 weeks, even if you had your your smaller house, the ratio of what you had to pay back to the, the studio, that was during the time when the studio was getting 20% of ticket sales and you were getting 80%. I mean... These days, there's a reason that it's a $10 bucket of popcorn. That's actually where they're making 90% of their money these days. Right. To guarantee that it stayed front of mind or, you know, maximized the profit potential. Yeah, you'd sign a contract that said you're keeping this, you know, movie at your theater at least for six weeks, eight weeks, sometimes 12 weeks. So if there's a talented director like uh, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite is not playing in mm-hmm. many theaters in America right now, but its current U.S. <laughs> box office is $90 million. So there are cracks in in the system somewhere. No doubt. I, I think it was the story the Variety did where when Disney took over the Fox Home Library, there's a lot of Fox titles that, you know, the repertory houses just normally just set up to be part of their annual streaming list. And now that Disney's calling the shots with the Fox Library, a lot of these titles are no longer available. Then life just got tougher for the smaller independent theaters. I think there's going to be a whole lot of changes coming very, very shortly. I mean, like it's just a tidal wave of, of rapid changes that a lot of people didn't see coming with the streaming wars. And I'll get into specifics about it why a little bit later on, but it's going to change. Okay. It's going to change big. Okay, moving on through the news here. Um, Cloak and Dagger, Freeform uh, opted out of renewing, uh, you know, that superhero drama for a third season on the heels of that happening. And likewise over at Hulu, Marvel television put together a pilot for Ghost Rider for them with Gabriel Luna uh, playing the title character and Hulu passed on that project. So this kind of one, two punch of cloak and dagger being canceled and Hulu opting not to pick up Ghost Rider, Jeff Loeb, who for a decade now has been head of, Marvel Television announced that he'd be leaving the company by the end of this year. And there were a lot of people who couldn't help but sort of connect the dots that given that Kevin Feige got that promotion last week, where he's not only in charge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe now, but also television, because of course, as we've been talking about, the the Marvel limited series that are being done for Disney plus are going to be that much more connected supposedly with the cinematic universe. So Kevin had to be in the mix there, but once Kevin also got in charge of, uh, animation for, uh, Marvel now, likewise their print side, there wasn't a whole lot left for Jeff to do. 
I think he's underused like at Marvel television because a lot of the stuff is moving over to Marvel Studios. Obviously, the movies are already do, be, being done by the studios, but all of the Disney Plus things that are going to connect to all of that, well, those are going to be mm-hmm. done by Disney Studios as well. If you got Cloak and Dagger canceled, that's a Marvel Television thing that's off the table. There's a lot of things that Marvel Television isn't really doing right now. They're getting a, a bit thinner and a bit thinner, and it's almost like Marvel Television may just go away, and it just may be Marvel Studios, because they're doing a lot of the legwork right now. And certainly, as we'll discuss on you know the second half of today's show, I mean, we are two weeks out now from stepping through the looking glass and what happens to how Disney handles entertainment when it has a you know a movie studio and you know a subscription streaming service. What ends up where? It's such an interesting time when you're someone like myself who covers entertainment. I mean, for example, you and I have talked in the past about those two. Marvel scripted podcast, the Wolverine, the Long Night, and Wolverine, the Long Train, or excuse me, the Lost Train. Yeah. But yeah, that they are doing four new 10 episode scripted series. This time around, what a surprise, we get a Volk, another Wolverine show, but we also get a Hawkeye, a Black Widow, and a Star Lord. And what's been inferred is that there's a fifth series that will come on the heels of all this where they do a team up with all of these characters, which Star-Lord with Wolverine. That's going to be interesting. I'm really excited because I love the old serials. Uh, Actually, I've got the old uh, Superman on a CD collection of Mm -hmm. of a lot of the old radio serials. Mm -hmm. It was back in the old imagination days. Before VCRs were around, I used to tape (laughs) with a cassette Star Wars when it was Mm -hmm. on HBO. I would tape it on cassette Mm -hmm. and then replay it all day long off of the cassette. Oh. Yeah, it shows how early I was back in my audio days, right? No, no, no. I I I had more than my share of, of movies that you know on audio because again, videotapes at that point what were ridiculously expensive. Uh and it as was the technology to record, but when you'd listen to a Star Wars movie mm-hmm. and you'd listen to the soundscape that Ben Burt had laid down. Yeah. Oh man. Well, the thing about everyone always says the book is better. No matter what you're what mm-hmm. movie you're talking about, you always hear the book is mm-hmm. better, right? Mm-hmm. The reason for that is cuz you're the director when you're reading. You frame the mm-hmm. shot. You get the words from the script, but when you imagine it in your head, you're totally the director. So, if you can't make your own perfect movie with the script in front of you, you know, then you just lack an imagination, I suppose. But it, that's usually not the case. That's why everybody always says the book is better. If if you always argue the book is better about some movie, then chances are you're a pretty good director in your head because you, you painted a beautiful picture that you truly believe is better than whatever the movie was. And there's always mm-hmm. the more detail and the, the inner thinkings of the main character that you don't get, you know, in movies and and whatnot. But I love the imagination of hearing some audio and a a couple of sound effects give you a clue as to what's happening in that moment. And then you go from there. Just last week, Harry and Abrams revealed that they're going to be republishing a series of comic books that Marvel did back in 1966. And, have you ever heard of these, Aaron? They're called the Marvel Comics Mini Books. 
Uh, no, it doesn't ring a bell specifically. I'm always familiar with the double-sized issues, but not not the mini books. Were they mini in size, uh, like three by five or such? Try the size of a postage stamp. You, you, oh, the well, only no way wonder you, you, I would know about it, because I would hard pass on that. Marvel cut a deal with, you know those gumball machines? Right, There yeah. were six comic books, all of them smaller than a postage stamp, sealed in a clear plastic ball, and you had to go... To, you know, your local five and ten, you know, and again, these things cost a quarter. This was so short-lived and everyone managed to get one or two. Very few people managed to get the run of all six. And in fact, the six comic books. So we have The Amazing Spider-Man, The Incredible Hulk, The Mighty Thor, Captain America, Sergeant Nick Fury, Mm. and then Millie the Model. Mm. I don't know from Millie the Model. Anyway, Abrams is going to be publishing a facsimile edition of the Marvel Comics mini-books, but in large enough format that we can finally really appreciate the art. And Mark Evanier is writing a seventh book to go with this facsimile to explain the history and that sort of thing. But that'll be out in May of next year. Though uh, something I would really suggest for folks, it's out right now, but it's called Marvel Comics Number 1000. It's basically a celebration of Marvel's 80th birthday. It's not so much a celebration of the characters. So, I mean, there's some amazing artwork in here. I mean, for example, the the cover alone is done by Alex Ross. I'm in. (laughs) Sold. But it's more about the creators. And the conceit of it is that throughout the entire book, they talk to the various Marvel characters but through their creators. And there's some, some lovely insights into Peter Parker, likewise the Hulk, and also a lot of the lesser characters. And they also take some pride in the fact that even 80 years in, our Marvel can be introducing brand new characters. In fact, that's the last page or so of the book. They tease a new character called, I want to say, The Masked Raider? A great read, wonderful artwork, well worth seeking out. I wonder why they settled on Marvel Comics number 1000. That seems like an arbitrary number for the 80th birthday. Why not just Marvel's 80th? You know, I don't know. Wait, where did the 1000 come from? Did they, I mean, if they were going to try and capitalize on anything, they should have called it, I love you, Marvel 3000, or something like that. If you're going to pick oh, a number at random. See. Now that would have been great. But subtitle for this thing is 80 years, 80 creative teams, one universe. Hmm. So they don't actually go into why they settled on the 1,000. But, you know, they have an amazing panel here with all of the Avengers battling Fing Fang Foom. Ooh, cool. So, yeah, yeah, definitely chase this down, folks. But, again, it's been on stand since August 28th. So don't dawdle. Go check that one Hmm. out. Okay. This story, Chris Evans got his start in children's theater in the Massachusetts area. I mean, he grew up in Sudbury in one town over. He was part of the Concord Youth Theater. And his mom, Lisa Evans, stays back in Massachusetts and eventually becomes the executive director of the Concord Youth Theater. And unfortunately, late last year, the landlord of the building in historic Concord, Massachusetts, where this youth theater was located, declined to renew the performance group's lease. And they needed to seek out a new venue. And Chris helped arrange the financing for a new permanent home for this performing troupe. It's an old church that they've turned into a 200-seat theater, uh, oddly enough, on Church Street. Chris came home. He was there with his mom, 
for the dedication of the ribbon cutting at the new Concord Youth, the- new home of the Concord Youth Theater. Let's go in and <laughs> watch the rehearsals for Godspell, which, Aaron, you really haven't lived till you've seen 13 year olds do Godspell. So, well, I truly haven't lived then. <laughs> <laughs> On that happy note, we're going to cut away for a quick commercial break here. And when we get back, Aaron's going to weigh in on the brand new, incredibly complicated world of subscription streaming services and what this means going forward for folks like Marvel Studios. So uh, hang in there. We'll be right back. Before we get started here, folks, I wanted to, to mention a story. Uh, that broke earlier today. We were just talking about how the the media landscape has changed, and news just broke about a brand new episode of The Simpsons, Mm -hmm. which is going to be called Bart the Bad Guy, which will actually feature vocal cameos and performances by Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige, as well as the directors of Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, Joe and Anthony Russo. Basically, Bart for some reason, gets into an advanced screening of a brand new big franchise superhero movie. And he realizes that he knows how, you know, this is going to end. And, you know, he's, so he's blackmailing the studio to not reveal these spoilers. Mm-hmm. And, and this will end up tying into uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And there'll be a thread that connects that, like the Tesseract keeps showing up. It'll be the the Simpsons episode. Is that what you're getting to? (laughs) It's it's so strange that you bring up uh, the the, the Doctor Strange, too. Oh, God, tell me it doesn't happen. (laughs) Well, no, I, I, I actually heard something today. You know how we've talked previously? In fact, it's appropriate that we're recording the show just before Halloween. The Marvel Zombies series. Yeah, yeah. Evidently, again, it's a multiverse. You know, the, the multiverse of bandits. Sure. And that supposedly the script as written today features the thing. And remember, they said this was going to be the darkest Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that's ever been done. Oh, sweet. Evidently, go ahead, go ahead. Doctor Strange has to go to, and again, I don't exactly know what the MacGuffin of this movie is, but he has to go to a world where there's been the zombie apocalypse and he, in order to find this MacGuffin, he has to enter this world and he encounters a zombie Hulk, a zombie Captain America and a a zombie Peter Parker and a zombie version of himself. Nice. That's what I've heard as of today, folks. While you're digging for stuff, ask, ask your sources if they're going to throw in uh, Neil Gaiman's 1602 series in the multiverse where that takes place back in the year of 1602 and it's a elizabethan era of the mcu Ooh, okay 1602 okay duly noted uh just one last beat on the simpsons here yeah. I, I i don't know if you you've seen in fact what's kind of interesting for the la launch of disney plus they have this series of of billboards where it's you know disney plus and it's pixar and marvel and national geographic and on the billboard is bart with a can of paint and he's spray painted in and simpsons they trying to keep that front and center as that they go forward here well simpsons isn't really the first thing you think of when you think of disney you think of disney you think of mickey 
Mickey, Mickey, yeah, Disney, yeah. Disney, Mickey. That's how you think. That's how you've been trained to think your entire life. Sometimes you throw in a Donald and a Goofy, but it's Mickey and it's Disney. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. We have a new acquisition. His name is Bart and Homer mm-hmm. and Marge. All right. So just to sort of set the stage here. So starting, is it November 1st that Apple TV goes live? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then November 12th, is when we get Disney Plus. Right, yep. And was just listening to the investors conference call where Comcast was talking about Peacock, which is going to be their yep. subscription service. And Disney did that event on Twitter, you know, a week to 10 days ago where they listed every title mm-hmm. that they were going to have available. And, you know, this tsunami of, of images came into my Twitter feed. I mean, I know I'm an old fart, I'm a terrestrial television guy, but the fact that you have infinite choice doesn't necessarily make me happy. (laughs) No, because it's infinite bill. Infinite monthly (laughs) bill is what it translates to if you go like that. And it was a little bit simpler a couple of years ago to just cut the the cable cord and and go (laughs) online because, you know, Hulu pretty much had your terrestrial TV covered for the networks and some other stuff here and there. And uh, Netflix had a a wealth of stuff. So it was kind of easy to, it was all in a a couple of piles and you can just, you know, Mm -hmm. grab into a couple of piles. But now, you know, NBC's like, oh, wait a minute, hold on. We'd like to have a thing and we're going to call it Peacock. And they're going to start reclaiming all of their stuff from other people's piles and pulling it back into their pile so that they, Mm -hmm. they have something that is worth paying for. And so, yeah, that's going to be one of the things that we'll discover here as as we go through the thing. But we're going to start with Netflix because it's like the grandfather clause started off with the the DVDs and and then helped ease you into the streaming age as our bandwidth was able to finally handle an HD movie download. Some people in in parts of more rural America still don't have great bandwidth. So Mm. streaming is not a great option for them still. Jim, do you have uh, Netflix right now? I was an old disc guy with Netflix. And then, you know, at one point it's like, well, okay, I've, I've, you know, seen, you know, all of the stuff that I want to see. And I I let it lapse. Mm -hmm. And just recently my daughter Alice set us up with a family account. Right. So yeah, Netflix is kind of like the grandfather clause. You start off on discs, they ease you into streaming. Uh, About 16 bucks if you do the... Ultra HD hoopty doo plan, uh, that's fine, mm-hmm. but that's kind of like the bar that's going to be set for the the monthly bill, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what we all kind of agreed to over time. Even though Netflix had a little price hike, it wasn't unreasonable. So you know, if you go way above sixteen bucks, you're crazy. If you're way under it, that's crazy. Oh my god, what a deal in that direction. Amazon Prime is another option, and really. I would not have Amazon Prime if it weren't for the the shipping because we have an Amazon warehouse in Indianapolis so we can do the same day shipping and that's why that's the only reason we have Amazon Prime Video as a viewing option in our smart TV setup is for shopping. So I don't think it's very good. I just there's not much there that I would watch. However, with the exceptions of Good Omens, I praise that highly and recommend it to everybody. And then uh, the Jack Ryan series was fantastic. And I can't wait for season two to start in November. But those are just two shows out of an entire, you know, streaming library. And everything else is like, eh. So 
the only reason some people have Amazon Prime Video is because they wanted Prime shopping and they got mm -hmm. video as a, a free bonus for that. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then we'll go to Apple TV, which is, like you said, coming out November 1st. It's five bucks a month. That's crazy. Crazy cheap. Mm -hmm. If you look at it compared to Netflix, but there's a reason for it. They've only got 17 shows total coming out when the thing launches. Actually, I don't think they have 17 right off the bat. They'll have like, you know, eight or nine, and then a couple will come, uh, you know, later in the month even, but just not on opening day. Jim, are you excited? Would you pay 15 or, or $5 to watch of a, a choice of 17 titles? But uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is Marvelous Miss Maisel an Amazon show? That's a, that's Amazon, not Apple. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're, and a okay. lot of people do like that. You're, I mean, there mm -hmm. there are so, uh, many many shows that are on Amazon that people like. I'm just looking at it from only my perspective as as far as viewing options. Is there's a there's a couple things here and there, but when you look at mm -hmm. 99% of it's garbage, and, and there's going to be a lot of people that will love, like, you know, 3 or 4%, but... Sometimes one show, you know, all it takes is one that will make people go, okay, I got to get that. But, you know, for the life of me, when we're talking, if we're talking about Apple, I know about the Peanuts deal, right. doing the anim new animated series with the Charles Schultz characters, but after that... It's all great. Geez, they, they've been touting uh, Jason Momoa's got a show called C-S-E-E, -E, where it's about, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, people had no vision. They didn't have... They had eyes, but no sight for some reason. Mm -hmm. And then a child or a, a couple of children are born who are able to see, and it's about to change the world, and a war starts amongst a bunch of blind tribes. So... Interesting concept, looks visually stunning. I mean, all the things have the Apple gloss, right? All the trailers, mm -hmm. they've got high-level talent attached to them. On the surface level, it looks really nice, but the nut mm -hmm. of the problem is it's 17 shows total that you've got, and then they go, oh, you can watch Amazon Prime through us. Well, I told you mm -hmm. just five minutes ago, I don't care about Amazon Prime. They're like, well, you can watch Netflix mm -hmm. through us. We don't care, just use us. So here's the, the one trick that we have to let people know about before mm -hmm. Apple gets too deep into after the release. They also are going to be releasing, I don't know if it's like new phones, laptops, something. And I know they've got a new Apple TV box that will be coming mm -hmm. out. So the deal is if you buy an Apple product uh, of a certain level uh, that qualifies, mm -hmm. you get a free subscription to the Apple TV plus. So right off the bat, if they sell a hundred thousand or a hundred million units of whatever product, they immediately mm -hmm. get to claim, "Hey, we've got one hundred million subscribers." To the general public, it's like, "Hey, that's nice. They're doing really well because at five dollars a pop, that's five hundred million dollars they just made in the first month." But that's not even close to the truth. Sirius XM did that with GM back in the day when they were trying to get started up was, hey, buy a new GM vehicle, get Sirius XM for a full year free. And Sirius XM got to say, hey, we've got millions of subscribers, guys, but nobody was paying for the service. So Apple's going to be able to have incredibly high numbers right up front. And you have to yeah. also consider the fact that when someone presses play to watch a thing coming off of an Apple server, that ups the electricity bill. Apple's going to lose money on this deal for a little while. 
Thank goodness they've got a billion dollars that they can buffer the hurt because it's going to hurt for a while. Yeah. You do get the streaming service uh, starting with a purchase as low as $199. That's going to get you the iPod Touch. And God, you're right. Given Apple's what they typically sell per year, they, they move more than 250 million units of their devices just right from the get go. You know, Netflix at this point only has like only 150 million subscribers. Amazon Prime's got more than 100 million subscribers and Hulu's got 28 million subscribers. So that's going to give them a tremendous lead coupled with that $5 price point. But again, just but it's an illusion. Series. It's all an illusion. Nobody's no, paying no, for right. it, you know, so. You're correct. Wow. Okay. I think that if they were to see themselves having a financial issue at some point, like they hit a brick wall and it's just not getting any better. I can see them bundling their music plus service with the TV plus service. Cause people are, are like to, you know, have a subscription for streaming music as well as their, their television. And then they've also got stuff like cloud storage, you know, where you, it's like, Hey, you can get a terabyte or whatever. And we're going to bundle it with the, Apple TV plus and the Apple music plus, and it's all just going to cost around 20 bucks a month. I can see that kind of working out for a while. They're going to have a very thin library and it's just not going to be, I mean, and you're right. There are going to be a couple of shows like that. Maybe it's that one magic show and someone's like, mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, I have to see this one and they'll get their subscription. And if they like it, but once you plow through it, like, you know, over the course, cause we're in a binge age. If you plow through that yeah. entire show over the course of like a week or two, what's to keep you around for the second month. If you try the other show, other 17 shows and you don't like them, boom, you're out. So I can see Apple making course corrections in the future, whether it be bundling other services or just finding a way to expand a library that's actually theirs, not a pipeline into Netflix or Amazon or someone else's pile of stuff. Moving on CBS all access. They gave us some really good stuff with Star Trek Discovery and Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. I wish would have been a little bit better, but it was still pretty good. And I hope that we get another season that's even better than the first. CBS, I still, I just don't want to pay for it. And that leads right into NBC with the release of Peacock in 2020. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about CBS and NBC that they have going for themselves is they're a network that's churning out content. They've also been sitting on a pile of their history since the beginning of broadcast. So now they've got a pile, just like Disney has a pile, where they can say, hey, here's our $5 price point or our $15 price point, and you can sit and watch I Love Lucy all day long. And I might actually be down with that, because I love I Love Lucy. So when you look at NBC, they got Frasier, The Office, uh, Parks and Rec, Will and Grace, stuff like that. They got a Battlestar Galactica reboot. And just like mm -hmm. this, the Star Trek with CBS, I love Battlestar, but I think I'm going to end up watching it at a friend's house. I don't think I'm going to subscribe just to see that one show. And I really don't want to pay for watching reruns because I've already been doing that with, you know, Netflix and, and other streaming services. Now I'm just buying stuff into my digital library. Like I, I'll, I'll never have to stream the office again because I own it. I'm curating my own library instead of relying on other people to curate one for me right now. Apparently discovery and BBC are going to team up for a streaming service in 2020. They're looking at about a $5 a month price point. That's like the BBC planet earth and blue planet type things. The beautiful, beautiful documentaries. Mm -hmm. So discovery says, Hey, we would like to 
create a pile of just beautiful nature documentaries and and make a, a show out of that. Maybe if they've got Mythbusters, I think a lot of people would be on board. If we're getting into the only thing you have is watching the reruns of one channel, the, it almost gets back to, why don't I just buy cable? Because if I just go to cable, I've got NBC, I've got CBS, I've got Discovery Channel, right? And I don't need my bill split up into five or six different piles now. It's almost a time to go back to cable. I don't ever want to say that out loud, but yeah, it's almost time to go back to cable. Because AT&T purchased Time Warner, we've got this thing called HBO Max that's coming right around the corner. That could be as high as $15 a month because that's what they charge for HBO Now. By the way, they've got, let's see, it was HBO Now. They've got HBO Go. They're going to have normal HBO and then HBO Max. And HBO mm -hmm. Max will have all the TBS, Turner, Cartoon Network, uh, Friends. You know, they were touting their one TV show, just like Disney's touting they've got The Simpsons. HBO's touting that they've got Friends. And it's funny because HBO used to make a big deal. It was their slogan. It's not TV. It's HBO. Now mm -hmm. the slogan can be, it's HBO Max. TV, basically, again, really kind of odd, but whatever. Everyone needs a pile. Like a dragon needs a pile of gold coins to sit on. These companies mm -hmm. need a pile of content. Disney Plus, we've talked about ad nauseum, MCU, Nat Geo, Star Wars, all that good stuff. Their trailer was three and a half hours long of all the stuff that was going to be released. Some of those Apple plus TV series may not even be a full three and a half hours. If they're only half hour episodes, right? True. True. <laughs> Jim, are you going to get Disney plus? I sort of had to. Right. And then, you know, thank goodness, you know, drew who had been to the D 23 expo and they had that offering, you know, for attendees, you know, to use this code and, I want to say we're getting it for the equivalent of 5 to $7 a month. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's kind of a necessary evil. And, and don't get me wrong, there's, you know, there's a couple of things I'm going to look at right off the bat. Mm -hmm. I mean, Leslie Iwerks Imagineering uh, series. I mean, I've been following, Leslie was originally putting together just a, a simple documentary on Imagineering. And the idea was he was going to have to figure out how to tell the Imagineering story in two hours time. And now, you know, she's got six plus hours to do that. And basically, they've kind of inferred that if this is successful, they'll do, you know, an even more expanded version on that. So, you know, that'll be terrific. But if you held a gun to my head, there are movies from the 1970s that Disney made that I would never, ever want to watch again. I mean, they've got talented people in them like Tony Roberts and Sandy Duncan, but Million Dollar Duck was a terrible movie, you know, even back in 1971. And why I would devote two hours of my life in 2019 to watch that piece of crap again, I think that's what people don't understand about the Disney Library. Yeah, they've got this amazing collection of film, but it's kind of, if you use the Star Trek analogy, I mean, the original Star Trek, there were 65 episodes. 10 of which were great, <laughs> 15 of which were, oh, that's pretty good. And, you know, and then... Then you know, there's you, the rest. You, 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 <laughs> yeah, you know, you had things like Spock's brain, where it's yeah. just, you know, they, these terrible... But again, you, you know, when you're pumping out 20 
plus episodes a season. Not all of them are going to glow in the dark, and not every film a studio would make is going to be a masterpiece. And that's the thing. Disney for years has slapped, you know, the, oh, a classic, a masterpiece. Yeah. On, on things that, you know, it's like the old line that Statler said to Waldorf, I've seen better film on teeth. Yeah. I was very surprised to see that Lady and the Tramp live action thing is a Disney Plus exclusive right off the bat. I thought they were going to jam mm. that down the theater throats for weeks and months and treat it just like it was going to be the next Lion King. Is there a problem with the live action Lady and the Tramp? No, up until a, a couple of years ago. Disney used to you know, used to make movies like the live action Lady and the Tramp. Your two leads are dogs, so you pay them in kibble, you know. So <laughs> it was an affordable film, and with an affordable film, you know, you didn't have to make a billion dollars to turn a profit. Have you been hearing the stories about Joker over at Warner Brothers and how Warner Brothers is proudly pointing to the fact that because this Joaquin Phoenix film costs so little to shoot. It's all cheddar after that, baby. And that's the thing. At this point, it's the Joker with the business it's done worldwide is making the equivalent profits for Warners that Endgame has made for Disney. And it didn't have to make $2 billion worldwide to reach that level of profit. Which is why the next Batman movie, he's just going to have a towel with a clothespin around his neck for a cape. <laughs> That's right. And, and you know, the, the Batmobile will be a tricycle. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's just Disney used to, they used to refer to these films as like, look, yeah, you sometimes we get home runs. Sometimes we get, you know, like Pirates of Car you know, Car Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. All the stories about how the studio execs were freaking out about Johnny Depp's performance and, you know, is he gay? Is he drunk? What, you know, what is he mm -hmm. doing? And the, the fact that that connected in such a big way and they had a smash hit, you know, that was a home run. But Disney was also the studio that was perfectly happy. Hey, like, hey, that's a single. Hey, that's a double. You know, it didn't cost us that much to make. Disney then, over like the last five to ten years, changed its business model and locked, and let's be honest, a lot of that is because they bought Pixar, they bought Lucasfilm, they bought Marvel, and suddenly they were almost exclusively in the blockbuster business. And the whole notion of they put the, the might of their marketing department behind these things, when you've got three, four, five films a year making a billion dollars, if one malfunctions and, and fails to launch, it's like, eh, we're good. It almost seems like that Disney got in the way of itself with Lady and the Tramp. Like, the, the schedule's just too crowded. We've got nowhere to put it. Just throw it on Disney+. Plus. I don't see it. If it costs so little, then why not throw mm -hmm. it in a theater? Because if they can make Joker money, you know, where costs were very, very low and returns are very, very high, and then throw it out. I mean, I do understand the idea of saying Disney Plus has got to have its own exclusive content. That's it, exactly. Well, Star Wars and, and Mandalorian, that makes sense. And mm -hmm. WandaVision and the MCU, that all makes sense. Lady and the Tramp mm -hmm. just don't make no sense to me. I mean, I, I know that I'm not the demographic, but I don't know of anyone that was clamoring for that. Well, no one was clamoring, but they supposedly selected that script so carefully because they knew they needed a title that had a tie to the classic Disney library. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, that they could put a new spin on it. A lot of time, a lot of thought went into that. In fact, the film that they're following up on that, uh, Nicole, it's the, the Christmas film that, again, oh. Disney for years was talking about bringing to theaters where it's Santa's daughter. Yeah. 
Was that Anna Kendrick was playing that? There right? we go. Yeah. There we go. And every month they want one Disney film that that has the level of quality that could be theatrically released, but at the same time in today's marketplace where there's you know again to, to go full circle to what Martin Scorsese and, and Francis Ford Coppola were talking about that when you know your your local multiplex is putting so much focus on well you know we we have to make money off of the giant blockbuster that we don't have space for the smaller movie to be able to do this on disney plus it is the best of both worlds we get our blockbuster movie and the best part is that after it finishes its theatrical run because the blu-ray dvd business is basically dried up because you know my daughter's generation you know doesn't feel the need to own all of the blu-rays right they're perfectly happy to stream. I mean, I mean, think about, you know, the conversations you and I have had previously where you talked about you have built a digital film library and how angry you were when, what was it, that they wouldn't all port over to a newer device? Or? Yeah, well, I, the thing that bugs me right now is it's still kind of the same problem is Warner Brothers expects me to remember every movie they ever published. And that's not how my brain works. Mm -hmm. I want to mm -hmm. watch Johnny Dangerously. You remember Johnny Dangerously mm -hmm. back in the... Uh, oh, Michael yeah. Keaton. Michael who, Keaton. Who, yeah. made, who mm -hmm. made that movie so I can watch it right now? Oy. Yeah, right? I want to say... <laughs> uh, again, this is how my brain works. I want to say it's Orion. Ooh, maybe. And when was the last time Orion was in business? Right, so who's got know? the rights to that movie so I can watch it right now? I, not only do I have to remember the... Who made it originally? Now I have to remember who bought the the company after it died or whatever. That's the problem that I've got where Ultraviolet went away. That's what went away. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there was okay. something that, you know, I had a couple digital copies and I get this little notice in my email. It says, hey, by the way, we failed as a business. We're going away. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to keep the content you paid for, please link your library or kiss it goodbye. And so then I had to link it to a library and it went to not my iTunes library, but I think it went to my Voodoo library. So it's like, yeah, now it's being consolidated slowly as some of these things die and get consolidated into another thing. But that's my problem is that when it comes to these streaming services, NBC, I, I mean, yeah, I know The Office and a select other few, but I don't remember who made I Love Lucy originally. I think it was CBS. I'll, I'll bet about anything it was CBS, but I could be wrong. So I might be sitting browsing through CBS's library for, you know, nine hours. And then I realize, oh, it was National Geographic or any other thing in the world that's not CBS. Now, on the fringe of the binge, there's things mm -hmm. like Shudder is a streaming service where they do nothing but horror movies. Mm -hmm. And my wife is doing a trial of that because it's October. She wanted to binge watch a bunch of horror movies. So in, in regards to like the piles, what happens when the movie studios, it would be any Warner Brothers movie ends up in the NBC pile. And that's the type of where I get roadblocked of, I don't want to have to remember the structure of the hierarchy of a studio of who owned what, because it's all one company owns a hundred little companies underneath it. I want to remember, I want to watch Romancing the Stone. With Michael mm -hmm. Douglas, and and that's how I get to my content is by a, a title. 
And so mm -hmm. we've got things like ESPN Plus and Fubo TV, but you've also got an NFL streaming service and a Major League Baseball streaming service and an NHL streaming service. And it seems like a lot of these companies that were the original creators of the content are going to be mm -hmm. waiting until the rights are able to come back to them. And they'll say, we'll take that back, please, and we'll put it back in our pile. And the things like Shudder, that's all horror, their library is going to get diminished because you know, they're, they're running other oh, people's absolutely. movies. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah. if you're not in the original content creation business, you are actually mm -hmm. at risk by the whims of the people you're licensing your content through. So I do agree that Apple, if they want to be in the game, they have to create their own content and they've got to do a lot of it, a lot more. And they're starting from scratch. That's why it's going to be hard for them. And they're giving away their content for free for the first year because anyone that spends over 200 bucks, which really, mm. I don't know of anything that you can buy with an Apple price tag that doesn't start at $200 or more because no. they're rather no. expensive products. So mm. there's just a lot of, uh, of ways that that's going to change. And then uh, like with the Lady and the Tramp thing with Disney Plus, they have so many companies that create content and maybe you're right that it is smart that they just put it over to Disney plus. Cause if they have that mindset of every month, there has to be a studio film level quality thing that we put out that is exclusively here. So every month someone's got a reason to come back. Okay. That makes sense to me now. It didn't before, but now it does that, that you've explained it. I dig that mentality, but everybody's going to be sitting on a pile like a, a dragon on their pile of coins. And if I want to know that I want to watch Lord of the Rings, I got to know whose door I got to knock on so I can get to the right dragon. <laughs> yeah. Who is it that's doing the Lord of the Rings now, the series? The I want to say it's Amazon. I could be completely wrong, but they're spending a billion dollars on it. And there's only a couple of companies that can afford a billion dollar price tag like that. So it's Amazon or Apple. And I know damn well it ain't Apple. So that leaves Amazon. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong if I'm wrong. Well, I'll no, correct. you're right. Okay. You're right. And multi-season commitment and you're right. A billion dollar production budget. Let's face it. All these people have entered this space with the thoughts of there is a, a dragon sized mound of gold to be made. My concern is with so many of these there aren't going to be survivors, you know, that there'll certainly be casualties. Some of these companies are like ultraviolet, you know, they thought they had their thing going solid and then mm. poof, one day it just disappeared and they're out the door. Some of these mm. smaller companies, like I don't think shutters, I hope because I love horror, I hope shutter sticks around for a while, but they, if they're not making their own content and they're always licensing from someone else, if those people are going to start grabbing their content away and thinning out the shutter library, they're not going to last much longer. I am kind of happy that Amazon does have a billion dollars to blow on a Lord of the Rings thing because I'm nerd. So hooray for mm. us nerds that love Lord of the Rings. But they're in the game of creating original content that must be seen. If They're touting a price tag right now and our warm, fuzzy feelings for what Peter Jackson did with Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit series. Disney Plus is, is pretty much the same way. It's, uh, you know, we're there on day one so we can stream The Mandalorian we're there for the long game so we can see WandaVision. So then we can go into the theater and see how it plays out and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And that's where things are going to start to get tricky, right? Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola, why not let them just jump headlong into the streaming realm where they have no limitations that cinema usually had, like length, 
which is where, you know, the Irishman ends up landing is because it had a a length issue, right? So they can do whatever they want and consider there to be no boundaries at all and make, you know, some grand artwork in the process. I'm almost predicting that, you know, the online streaming thing is going to have this renaissance period of media will be, you know, it'll go from three and a half, four or five hours for like one extremely long movie. And then it will go micro. We'll go into like a five or 10 minute uh, mini episodes. And like, like the guild was really, really good. That was done by Felicia day and some of her friends. And um, the guild episodes were only like five or 10 minutes, but after they had done several seasons, you ended up with like three hours of content that was wonderfully heartfelt and funny and entertaining and made by people with passion who just wanted to get their artwork out there. And that was what the internet allowed for was the things that will never get greenlit by a studio. And mm-hmm. so the wondrous things, the beautiful things will be found in the ugly cracks of, you know, what we thought were, Oh, that's not where you find beauty there in the gutter. Uh, but no, that's where we're going to find it. We're going to find it in these little crevices of, of what we used to think were, you know, traditional uh, entertainment and it may not be in cinema. And as a result, cinema might change as well. Cause you're going to be crowded with Disney stuff, but what's going to be in the gaps. Who's going to break through there. Remember when Dr. Horrible sing-along blog yeah. debuted back in 2008, it was just this charming handmade funky thing. Right. And I would love for that sort of stuff to, to happen on a, a more often, <laughs> right yeah you know. but what concerns me about when these giant corporations get you know get involved in these sorts of things that we just talked about disney and how you know that the, one of the reasons they went after disney plus is because they'd stopped doing the singles and the doubles and you know we're only concentrating on these blockbusters and but if you're going to go out and compete against amazon's billion dollar multi-year series of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. You, you don't go, what are you, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Right. You know, just sort of, a, you got to find something as big, if not bigger. Let's sum up our, uh, well, you know, do our predictions and reading of the tea leaves. And if you think that I'm grossly wrong on any of it, go ahead and jump in and tell me how, how I'm wrong. But I'm thinking Apple, uh, right off the bat, they're going to report super huge numbers. The general public is going to assume that to be a success. Instead, it will translate mm-hmm. into Apple continue to sell product. That's mm-hmm. all that really is. Whether people enjoyed it, if they subscribe to the service, we're not going to find out for another year. So right off the bat, mm-hmm. Apple's okay with taking, you know, if they sell $200 million in, in product in the next year, they know for a fact they just gave away $200 million subscriptions. All they want are eyes on their product right now. So they can claim to have a bigger number than all of Netflix right off the bat. Cause that's going to sound like an amazing feat of popular success. And the people who didn't buy an Apple product will go, well, geez, maybe I should check this out for myself. Here's my $5. Please open the gates. Moving on Amazon prime because they had their, you know, billion dollar deal with Lord of the Rings. That's not the thing that's going to keep them alive, but it's going to be the thing that keeps them in the headline. And like I said before, a lot of people are not Amazon Prime members because they're there for the video. They're there for the shopping, the free shipping and stuff like that. So it's just a bonus. And I think that Apple may end up looking at Amazon Prime as a business model and say, hey, we're not doing very well. You know, even after the first year is up, nobody re-upped their subscription with us. So let's think about bundling our more popular services like our Music Plus and our 
cloud storage, uh, bundle that service with our TV thing to help get it through this lean time. At least when it comes to award season, Amazon in the TV sphere has done amazingly well these past two years with the marvelous Miss Maisel. Yeah, yeah. So, or Mrs. Maisel, excuse me. No, they, they are creating good content, original content. That's the important part, good original content. I think that there are going to be a lot of good voices as far as writers and directors who have a, a quirk, a thing that's that's weird or off from center, and they're going to be found mm-hmm. in, in these types of places. And if you would have described The Amazing Mrs. Maisel to me a while ago, I would have said, that sounds horrible. But, you know, after watching, it's like, oh, okay, I see, where the, I see how that works. Uh, HBO, mm-hmm. moving on to them. I wish they would just get rid of HBO Go and HBO Now and HBO and just mm-hmm. have a new thing. Just call it HBO mm-hmm. Max. I don't need five flavors of HBO. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, how many times do I have to pay HBO? Yeah, and speaking of paying HBO, I really do have an issue with the HBO Max, what what they've decided to do with Sesame Street. I remember when Jim Henson was working with public television, how important it was to have an educational show that showed kids in the inner city their world rather than romper room. Mm-hmm. There's something that sticks in my craw, the notion about... Sesame Street, the show that was created for poor children, can only be seen (laughs) at least initially by wealthy or more affluent families. And it just, that's that's kind of a a perversion of why Jim got into this in the day. But I'm now stepping up my soapbox and stepping up. No, I fully applaud that sentiment. I think it's, uh, you know, the the weird thing about entertainment, there's not a lot of heart in it nowadays. People like Jim Henson are Mm -hmm. rare. Things like Mr. Mm-hmm. Rogers are rare. There, mm-hmm. We're too cynical now to accept Mr. Rogers. You know, but the irony is what? We were a couple of weeks out. The Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Playing Mr. Rogers, you know, yeah. They, yeah, we'll go to a theater and watch, you know, Tom Hanks play Fred Rogers. But, you know. If you, were to, <laughs> if you were to be reincarnated today, yeah, we wouldn't watch it. Yeah, yeah so. you're right. Um, okay, so moving on past the HBO uh, network, because NBC and CBS are mm-hmm. like two peas in a pod here. They're networks that churn out material. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if they succeed or not at all. Because as long as NBC and, and CBS survive as an actual broadcast network on TV, they will be creating content for Peacock and for CBS All Access. It's worth noting that CBS All Access last year had 2.5 million subscribers. And the most recent round of articles that I can find for 2019, they are now up to 8 million subscribers. And they're especially hoping come January with the launch of Picard mm-hmm. to double down yet again. So it's really not, in fact, it's, it's interesting you bring up Battlestar Galactica because, you know, that for Peacock, that's, you know, that's going to put gas in the tank for that. Yeah. But again, how many reboots can you do? Yeah, that's true. Like, how many times can you go back to the same? Well, as long as you find a new way to retell the story, like, we'll all mostly agree that the reboot of Battlestar was totally worth it. In my logic, I saw that when I was like four or five. So mm-hmm. 
I wasn't a very civilized functioning being at that moment in my life. I was still very juvenile and immature in every conceivable way. So it's one of those things when I find out later in my adult life that they're going to reboot it. And I remember through my five-year-old, oh, that was so cool because of robots and space. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's about as far as that thought process goes. But when the series comes out as an adult, I loved the mm-hmm. reboot. So I hope that they have a reason to redo this one. They're not just going, hey, everybody seemed to like it. Let's do it again. And they don't know what they're doing. But the mm-hmm. creative dude that was behind uh, Mr. Robot's behind this. So fingers crossed he can okay. do it again. Because I did like Mr. Robot quite a bit. But No, I don't know. Same thing here. Same thing here. I'm glad that CBS is, is making some money, I guess. Because with Picard, mm-hmm. right, they should end up doubling their money. And, and this is where I'm at is I can right now buy the season of Star Trek Discovery for like 20 or 30 bucks. And Mm -hmm. if the season takes three or four months, that's cheaper to buy the season than it is to subscribe to CBS All Access. If I end up falling in love with the Picard series and I end up buying that too, at some point that scale is going to tip where it's cheaper for me to go and start, you know, subscribing to CBS. But Mm -hmm. I like keeping the content after I've seen it once. Cause if I really, really love it, then I got to go buy it. So I'm buying, you know, I'm, I'm paying for it to see it a second time. So in these mm-hmm. instances, when I watch, you know, uh, star Trek at my friend's place, cause he had the subscription, I didn't feel bad when I came home and went, yes, I will buy the season right now for 20 bucks. And it will just be in my queue. Whenever I open up my, my laptop, I can hit play and stream it to the TV or whatever. I love the convenience of it. Like I can go to my friend's house, log into my library and there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of options for viewing and and whatnot. Whereas if I did that with physical media, I would have an entire moving van full of content Mm -hmm. that we're Mm -hmm. trying to share. But anyway, it's great that we're going to have some focused things like Star Wars and Mm -hmm. MCU all under one roof. Some people are going to lose in this fight, the smaller dogs that aren't creating their own content. Some people who are billion dollar companies like Apple and Amazon are going to, they're going to have a money fight. They're just going to throw money in the air <laughs> and, and whoever happens to be an artist that catches it like JJ Abrams, right? He's going to go into that there and he's going to grab some Apple money and he's going to do a thing and then he's going to vamoose and do something else. So Amazon and Apple's a money fight for a few years Netflix is, since they're the grandfather clause, something drastic Mm. would have to happen for Netflix to completely fail. I think they can fine tune whenever they want and be just fine. It's the little dogs that are not creating their own content who had better look around and see who owns what and then figure out, do we have a long term? And if not, how do we start making some of this for ourselves? Like Shudder. I like horror. I don't want that to go away. So... Stuff's a change in Jim. We'll see what happens in the very near future and, and especially in November when all this stuff, a couple more options start to launch. And then later on in 2020, when more options launch and then we'll have a big old media fist fight and see what happens over the course of the next year or two after that. Well, thank you for doing all that research in such a deep dive. I mean, it, it's a, a compelling topic. And, and when this rock gets thrown in the pond, you know, just to watch what's going to happen to the way we consume media, the way media gets pr- produced. We were in for an interesting couple of years. And, you know, and the nice thing is Marvel's right in there. As you were mentioning, you know, WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier and all that other stuff that's coming. She-Hulk, 
we've got a lot of interesting stuff to watch and, and talk about in the years ahead. But in the meantime, folks, if, you know, till Aaron and I actually get around to talking about that stuff, we have a bunch of other podcasts here at Jim Hill Media. We've got Disney Dish with Lentesto. We've got I Want That with Michelle Valladolid, which is about Disney merch. Uh, we have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, which is about animation news. We have Universal Joint, which is about the Universal Parks and Resorts. We have Looking at Lucasfilm, which is about everything that is going on Star Wars and Indiana Jones related. And of course, the podcast you're listening to today, Marvelous Disney. Head over to iTunes and rate and recommend the show. That would be very helpful. If you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be incredibly helpful. And we'll be back soon, folks. Take care.